We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Oregon Ducks getting a big 31-24 win over Fresno State to kick off the 21 season, 2021 season, that is. And I'm here with Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Mickinen, who was uh, on scene with me yesterday in the press box at Odson. We want to break this one down and give you our thoughts and reaction. What does this mean for the Ducks moving forward? Tons of stuff to get into here. Dylan, how are we doing and what are some reactions that you have off top here? Yeah, I'm doing well. It was great to be back in Austin, especially with the fans in attendance for the first time in 644 days. Uh, I thought that the fans did bring the juice. It got quite loud at points, especially because it was a much closer game than any of us were expecting. I know the Ducks Digest predictions, we all thought it'd be a multi-score game, and I think rightfully so. It ended up not being that. Like you said, it was just a seven-point game. Uh, And overall, I feel like a lot of the sense around the program after the game was quite melancholy a lot of people were really lukewarm as for the perception because hey they did win but it was not convincing really at all and the offense definitely was not impressive but I think there's explanations for all of that and overall I'm just really excited for week two to to have a real litmus test for them against Ohio State but there's that but there's a lot to talk about from the game for sure didn't didn't turn out how they uh, really envisioned it, but uh, I'm sure there's uh, some fans out there that are of the mentality, "Hey, a win's a win." I mean, after mm-hmm. after uh, all the change that the program has has seen in the off season, m- maybe not all the change, but there were some departures, some new faces coming in. Uh, adding Tim DeRuiter obviously was a, a big storyline, and, and the defense looked great at times and not so great at times. Um, I think that was one of the big takeaways for me, even though the, the defense didn't look, you know, as crisp as we maybe wanted it to in some regards, they did force three turnovers, which is huge. Um, and two of them came in the, the first quarter, I believe. Um, and we saw a lot of freshmen play and, um, they, they were great against the run and, uh, you know, sh- shutting down Ronnie rivers was, was definitely a, a big key for them going into the game. I think they executed on that real well. Yeah, for sure. Also, I I know a lot of people have mentioned, hey, they gave up 298 passing yards against Fresno State, which is a valid concern. From what I saw, a lot of that was just Fresno State was kind of picking on TriQuest Bridges. And after the game, Mario Cristobal even said, yeah, I thought, 
him and Manning played well, but there's also some reps they want back. Maybe they were playing a bit too soft when they should have been in press. Um, and that's stuff that will be corrected in watching film. And also, I think it's quite likely that DJ James and Jamal Hill will be back for Ohio State just because Cristobal's never given us an actual timetable for their suspension. And it seems just no one's going to be shocked if their two starting cornerbacks are back for Ohio State and their suspension was for a Mountain West team. That's mm-hmm. just how like the sport goes, right or wrong. That's just very much – that's just nationwide how things are ran in this sport. Um, yeah, and I definitely, like you said, was quite impressed with their run defense, especially that first play they ran the ball and really got like one or two yards – and, and I think that you can really look at this game as pre-Kayvon Thibodeau injury and post-Kayvon Thibodeau injury because prior to Kayvon getting rolled up on, there really, much, there really was a sense, at least for me, oh, Oregon might win by like 40. They were up 14-0. Oh, they had back-to-back defensive plays in which they got a forced fumble thanks to Noah Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau. Really, Fresno State wasn't doing anything before Kayvon got hurt. And that's just because he's just a human cheat code that can get off the ball in a fraction of a second. That play in which Kayvon forced the f- forced the fumble, I think. Like, I think I was tweeting about the previous play. I didn't even see them. I didn't even really see it. I just looked up and I saw the Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner like on his back and the ball fly out of his hands. I thought maybe it was Justin Flo for a second because we kept hearing all those all those. Um, statements from his teammates being like oh there's gonna be some cleats flying off when he hits people ended up being Kayvon but Justin Flo did get a did get some of those big hits which was also nice to see and I feel like when Kayvon is able to play and he's able to have that element where if you're not going to double team him he is going to wreck havoc in that backfield um it's just a completely different Ducks defense so I think um, judging the Ducks' performance after the injury is a little unfair considering they're missing their best player and they're missing two of their best cornerbacks who will not be giving up as many of those plays because they're, they're just able to play tighter coverage. I thought DJ James in the spring game was very impressive when he was up against Devin Williams, who also, did Devin Williams even play? I barely saw him. He, I don't think he registered a catch. I barely saw him too. And I think a lot of that probably goes into, you know, what people want to say about, oh, maybe they're just, uh, you know, holding things back a little bit until the Ohio State game. But I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to pull that up and double check. But either way, we barely saw him. Yeah. And also Troy Franklin, I know, didn't have a catch and he was listed as a starter in the depth chart and he was not listed as a starter in the pregame introductions. But also Cristobal mentioned that Troy. He, He's in the post game. He mentioned Troy was limited. I'm assuming that means Troy Franklin. He probably got nicked up in the last two weeks. Um, Oregon practice was not open these last two weeks, so all those injury reports were no longer going to happen because we weren't able to be on the field and see. Okay, this person isn't playing. So, and also Cristobal mentioned that Justin Flo got nicked up like a week and a half ago, and he's still getting his feet under him, which that's scary for for opposing offenses because he had 14 tackles five solo tackle for loss force fumble and after the game Justin Flo was like yeah you know I played okay I can I feel like I feel like I can play a lot better and I'm like you had like the bet I know this wasn't Justin Flo's debut he played like a snap or two against I mean technically it should have been 
Yeah, but for like all intensive purposes, this was his debut. And it was probably the best linebacker debut I've seen for an Oregon linebacker since since Troy Dye against UC Davis in 2016. Um, which are some big shoes to fill, but I think Justin Flo can live up to that hype. Like he looked great and and you're gonna need him and Noah Sewell to play like five-star linebackers, like two of the best recruits this program has ever signed to hang with Ohio State next week. And I think honestly. They can. They're both just insane athletic freaks who are being coached well by Tim DeRuiter, and and I'm excited to see them grow this season. A lot of really good stuff there. I think uh, uh, that's a really a uh, point I really liked that you made was the pre and post injury to Kayvon because you you could see just how big of an impact that had. Um, there just wasn't much of a pass rush at all when when KT wasn't in. Um, and you saw how, you know, obviously how big of an impact that has on, on the defense. And then you have a lot of young guys that are, that are getting, uh, you know, thrown in and they're trying to kind of mix things up. I think that was kind of a, a hard challenge for the staff in this game is you want to win, but you also want to get some of these young guys, some snaps before the big stage next week, a couple of guys that we saw get some, some meaningful reps. Uh, we saw Christian Williams getting a lot of work. Uh, Jake Shipley got some work as well. Uh, also, Braden Swinson looked great, I think, from especially after everything that we heard coming out of fall camp. So that's really valuable, but you kind of have to toe the line and say, okay, well, maybe we need to build a little bit more of a lead here before we make that call to, to get some of these younger guys in. And the same goes for the offense as well, but it seems like we're kind of focused on defense right now. Um, really liked what I saw out of flow, obviously, and uh, he was asked about his energy post-game. I think Verone McKinley was asked about his energy too and just saying that it just – it, it leaks like all and spreads all over the the defense, and you can totally see that. Um, God, hearing the roaring Autzen was just so. It was like one of those moments, like nature's healing. Um, it was a little bit mixed because there was a lot of smoke, and we were kind of worried that the game wouldn't even happen. <laughs> Talking about actual nature, but like even though it wasn't full, man, Autzen just got roaring at, at times, and it was so great to be in that atmosphere. Um, I was okay. I was talking about flow. And I think having that tandem with him and Sewell is just so exciting to look at because you can see that vision really coming to fruition. I think that both of them have some room to grow as far as coverage goes for sure. And then, you know, flow kind of has to dial back his intensity. Saw that hit on Hayner and we're really lucky that he didn't get tossed. Uh, I think they called it on Jaden Navarrete who wasn't even in the game. Yes. But um, it was also called just the late hit. Which we both looked at each other and was like, "That's targeting." He's probably and because I even told you it happened with like less than a minute left in the first half. I said, "Oh, he's lucky that happened in the first half because I thought he was about to be tossed, but mm-hmm. that meant that he would be able to play all the game in Ohio State. If he had gotten targeting the second half, he would have missed a half against Ohio State, which that would just be they're not going to win. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, that would have been really bad. Uh, yeah, no, he definitely has to dial back some of." those really aggressive hits but also him being aggressive is what got that forced fumble against jake hayner later which we both were like oh he's down we weren't even like running to our keyboards to go tweet about it and then we watched the the, but then on the replay i was like oh it looks like that was that was punched out but also on 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 the scoreboard at otson it looked like the frame in which he punched it out was the frame his knee was down and they just, I, I don't think, could overturn it because it was so close. And I and I was thinking, they're really lucky these cameras are like 30 FPS and not 60 or like 120 FPS. Because if 
because I don't know if that was a clean forced fumble. I think it was just like right at that exact moment, but they couldn't overturn it. And that really was a difference in the game because Fresno State, I believe, still had the lead and the ball. And that was the play in which Oregon was able to tie it because they still didn't get in the end zone off that despite great field position. But our boy Camden Lewis, the sturdy place kicker, that's his spot. Washington State, now against Fresno State, middle, less than 30 yards, he's money. He was not money against Auburn in 2019, but that's okay. He's he's got it. He was 37 of 40 in the pre in the in fall camp, apparently, according to Mario Cristobal. We did not get any kicking questions to Mario Cristobal, probably because there was a lot more stuff to ask him than the than the kicking competition. But hey, Camden Lewis made all his kicks and color me shocked, but hey, that's great. Yeah. I'm happy for him. No doubt. No doubt. That was definitely a, a good storyline to see after, you know, he, he was kind of up and down uh, in the past. Um, just just because we're still maybe wrapping up a little bit on the defense. I know we have a lot we want to get into on the offensive end as well. Um, we talked about Kayvon Thibodeau's injury. Another injury worth mentioning certainly is Drew Mathis's injury. Um, he he uh, he left the game. Uh, I believe it was still the first half when, when he got injured, uh, came back out yeah. with a crutch in street clothes. So uh, Mario was talking about that injury after the game, and and it seemed like from what he was saying, he never really gets super specific, especially when it looks like it's uh, a little bit more of a serious injury, but it's looking like it, it might be more significant than Thibodeau's, uh, which would make sense considering Thibodeau returned to action a little bit after he got hurt, and then they ultimately decided that that his day was over. So um, two, two big injuries to keep an eye out on. I'm sure we'll get an update on both of those this week. And then just while we're talking about injuries, Mace Funa was also very in and out for, for much of the game. Um, I believe I, I remember him getting looked at, uh, I think it was his right leg. Uh, he didn't he didn't get asked. Mario and none of the players got asked about um, Funa's injury or kind of his his status. But I think he had a really good game uh, on that sack when uh, Brandon Dorless got it late in the game. Uh, Funa had the initial pressure coming off the edge, so... Uh, looks like he, he came out and, and, and had a pretty good showing to, to get the season underway. Yeah, and I don't want to speculate about injuries, but we saw him on the bike a lot. He was coming in now. It's possible that it was just cramps because it was, you know, fairly sure. hot at some point. Um, Alex Forsythe cramped up, and that was why he had to go down. So that wouldn't, I think, have been shocking. But it's but he finished the game. I feel like Buna will likely be good to go unless it's one of those which – doesn't hurt too bad, hurts later on. I'm sure we'll ask Chris the ball on Monday and Wednesday about Funa's status because also that's another very key defensive player. If he can't go for Ohio State, that greatly hurts Oregon's defense. Yeah, you mentioned him uh, finishing the game. And I think that's probably indicative of kind of where he's at. I just thought that was worth mentioning and, you know, kind of sure. what, what we saw while, while we were out there. Um and what else? I think yeah, we already talked about coverage with the backers. Bridges kind of getting picked on and, and his first significant chunk of uh, playing time here. Um, but yeah, the, the secondary kind of just looked lost at times. I feel like the, you know, there were some pretty simple schematic things that Fresno State was doing to, to move the ball on them. I know like Braden Swinson, he, he looked pretty good, but he also had a, a play where he, he didn't set the edge very well. And then they got that big run and um, just, uh, I th- there was also some over penetration uh, with the pass rush and Hayner was just running wild. It felt like not even like doing damage with his legs, but just extending plays. 
And then naturally mm-hmm. when, when that happens, then the secondary is not going to look as good because they have to adjust from, from their assignments sure. and, and they're the guys that they're guarding are, are improvising and working back to the ball. So it, it totally breaks down, but it all goes yeah. back to what we were saying about the pass rush and how, how important that's going to be for, for Kayvon Thibodeau to, to hopefully be available or somebody to step up uh, and fill in that void uh, should he not be able to go. Yeah, I know we're both pretty big Brandon Dorless believers. Yes. Uh, I think that he can definitely step up as the season goes on. I thought his coming out party was in the Pac-12 title game against USC. Where, I mean, I was a beat reporter as well for Oregon last year at a different outlet. And when Brendan Dorless was dominating that game, I just kept thinking, where has this been all year? The defense had been pushed around all year. And then, so I'm really excited to see Dorless continue. He did get that big sack that ended up being honestly kind of the difference because that's what gave Oregon the ball back and they were able to run the clock out. I think him, Funa, Thibodeau are going to be very key in just not next week, but the rest of the season. If they can create pressure off the edge and the defensive tackles are able to just clog their gaps, it's going to make this defense so much better. Yeah, I, I, I like that he got moved to the outside. I think most Oregon fans uh, kind of got introduced to him when he was working more so on the interior. So moving him outside looks like it'll really allow him to showcase that athleticism. And I think it also speaks to the confidence that the coaching staff has at the depth that they've uh, developed at the inside on the inside, I should say, with Keon Ware, Hudson, Popo Amavai, Jason Jones, uh, all in the mix there and getting uh, good snaps yesterday in the first uh, first game of the season. Um, what do you say? Should we talk some offense? Yeah, let's do it. There is a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there there certainly is. Uh, let's just start with Anthony Brown. I feel like he's the, the talking point here that most people are focused on, um, especially with how late the decision came uh, with him being named QB1. Uh, he finished his day, I'm looking at the stats here, 15 of 24 with uh, 172 yards passing for uh, one touchdown to Johnny Johnson. And man, he was active on the ground as well. He had uh, 16 carries for 56 yards, and um, he had uh, that rushing touchdown at the end of the game that that ended up sealing the deal for Oregon. Um, and that was a 30-yard touchdown, 3.5 yards per carry, sacked three times, and one of those was a strip sack that uh, was a fumble that resulted in a fumble early in the fourth, but. I think it was kind of a mixed bag for Brown. You know, we were talking to him after the game, and, and he wasn't uh, wasn't acting too pleased with with his performance. So, you know, his his head seems like it's definitely in the right spot. But say what you will about about maybe some of the decisions that he made, um, what, you know, passing the ball. But I think he ran really well, um, and ultimately he, he was able to to get the guys to rally around him and and you know deliver when it mattered most. Yeah, for sure. I think there are definitely lots of valid concerns coming out of Brown's performance from this game. There was some, but also I feel like sometimes his receivers just weren't getting open. I think Micah Pittman had some passes on his hands that probably should have been caught. They definitely weren't easy catches, but that those catches would have extended drives and they didn't end up happening. Um, Troy Franklin was, was obviously limited according to Mario Cristobal and that was their starting X receiver. Uh, Devin Williams. I don't even know how much he played. I wasn't paying too close attention to the to which receivers were out there at points because sometimes it was just like there's 11 people to watch on the field that stuff we're going to get more in a rewatch I'll probably have to schedule to have my schedule for tomorrow um 
But I'm not leaving the game too concerned about Anthony Brown. I think he would have to play quite worse to get benched at this point. Um, the Oregonians, Andrew Nemec, made a really good point on Twitter saying that the program's not going to want to throw Ty Thompson out there because because they want to make that decision of who's going to be a long-term starter between him, Jay Butterfield, and Robbie Ashford as late as they could because if they were to make that this year, the other one probably transfers out and that greatly hurts your quarterback depth, which is, I think, a really good point. So I think I'd be pretty surprised if Anthony Brown gets benched at any point this season. Um, and there were some throws that were very good. There was one throw on to the... I think it was the Oregon sideline to Johnny Johnson. I thought it was going to be a pick six when he threw it. It was not a pick six. It was perfectly thrown Johnny Johnson, and he ran up the sideline for a 32-yard gain. And also, it's just there's been, there's been a lot of talk online about whether or not they were just like not calling a lot of their money plays because they wanted to save those for Ohio State. I definitely think that's probably the case, considering they didn't even run an option play until the fourth quarter. <laughs> Like, when they ran their first option play, I was like, that's surprising. I feel like the option, especially with how good Anthony Brown can run, it's going to be a play that should be ran probably every offensive drive. And then when the, it was fourth and two, they need to convert. If they don't convert that, they probably lose the game. They ran an option play rather than just running it up the middle, which is what they had done prior. So I definitely think on offense and defense, they were running a lot of vanilla stuff because they thought they could just out-talent Fresno State, which almost didn't work, but they got the W, and hey, it can be a lot worse, as we can see with every other Pac-12 North team, because the Oregon was the only Pac-12 North team to win yesterday. The other five lost, including Washington to Montana, which is a little funny. But... <laughs> so it can be worse, and I do think if that a lot of this game we can react to it in real time, but it's, but I think it's quite reasonable that they were holding a lot back because they want to give themselves the best chance to beat Ohio state. And if they also look really bad against Ohio state and in conference play, then we have a different conversation. But right now I don't think it's panic time with the offense, despite it being very underwhelming. And I'm not going to argue that it was not underwhelming. It definitely was. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the the, the best, uh, you know, showing, of course, after all the hype that we've heard. But, you know, all your points about it, you know, being a little more vanilla, I think, uh, make a lot of sense. I, I really liked, you know, that obviously it's a, a good play to highlight, but that touchdown pass to, to Johnny Johnson was great. Uh, just seeing him go through his reads and then uh, making that making that pass under duress was, was definitely something good that you want to see from your quarterback. Um, and I really don't think that that strip sack was his fault. You know, if the offensive line's blocking better, um, you know, that doesn't happen, which translates into my you know next talking point. I feel like it was kind of an up and down day for the uh, offensive line. Um, it, it's a little hard to, I think, um, you know, evaluate this really easily just because you, you see the Anthony Brown getting sacked three times, but then you see the other side of it. They had 106 rushing yards, 3.8 yards per carry. Um so that there were there were up and down moments there. Uh, you know, CJ Verdell had that one play on uh, fourth down where he kind of stumbled and lost his footing. But I, I was watching the film before this, and that one kind of kind of got blown up. And I, I don't think that it would have been um, you know a super good play even if he had his footing. But um, yeah, so that they start they started out pretty hot. Um, obviously, getting those two scores was big, but there were definitely some times when 
they were just getting flat out beat um, and, and they didn't get that much push. Or I guess they looked better in the run game than in the pass game, I should say. Maybe that's my best way to to kind of summarize the the takeaways from from that here. And that would obviously directly correlate with how Anthony Brown was able to do in the passing game. Um, but one another note, just because we're talking about the O-line, is we saw a lot of young guys rotating in. Um, we saw Stephen Jones get a ton of work at, at right tackle, a spot that's usually held down by Sala. Uh, Cristobal talking about how those guys are kind of neck and neck and then looking like they're obviously confident enough to, to have those guys rotating in throughout the game. And we saw a lot of Dawson Jaramillo. Uh, he was a, he's someone who's, you know, a local guy from the state of Oregon, which is always cool to see them doing well. Ryan Walk and Alex Forsyth being other guys. That's a storyline I don't even think I ever thought about until now, just how much uh, Oregon is actually represented on the starting offensive line or on the offensive line in general. But um, he, he did really well um, when the – I believe he was in when – uh, CJ Verdell and the Ducks were, were driving the ball a little bit there late in the game, and he had some really nice uh, blocks on the edge. So I think it's good that we're seeing young guys you know, rotate in, but since it's so early, part of me kind of questions to what degree is that beneficial? No, I would definitely agree because so much of also playing offensive line is just knowing what everyone else is going to do and getting that chemistry because you know what the assignments are, especially if you're playing center. You're going to have to know all the assignments of what everyone does in the offensive line. But they're still just going to be like those minor inches. Like, you know that this guy pulls this way, this guard pulls this way. And you just need to get that camaraderie, which when you're all constantly rotating in and out, you're, you're just not going to get. Last year, Oregon would rotate in and out constantly which I thought was smart because of COVID. They didn't know who was going to be able to play. They kind of needed everyone to have that baseline level of competency. This year, I argue it might just be better if they were to say, hey, here are our five guys. They're the best five we have. And then we're going to have true backups at every position. When Alex Forsyth was cramping up, they put in Jackson Powers Johnson, who's a true freshman, who I actually thought performed very well in that drive. I was watching him because he was the new guy in. I wanted to see how he, he performed. And I'm not an offensive line expert or anything, but he never really got beat on any of his blocks and he knew what he was doing. And I would be surprised if Oregon thinks that Jackson Powers Light is their sixth best offensive lineman, but he's the one that went in immediately because he's the backup center. There's always been all this talk from Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal about how they have like 10 starting quality, 10 quality starters on their offensive line group. Well, then they, well, then everyone should have a true backup. And then if someone gets hurt mid game, just put in their backup, you can figure out having your best five for that next game. But I think forcing everyone to become competent at every position means that they can't master the one that they are on the depth chart, which worries me for next week because they're going to be playing a much more talented defense flying against Ohio State. And if they're constantly rotating in and out, unless it's just a matter of, hey, we are running more tempo stuff this year and these guys are just not conditioned well enough to play 80 snaps, then I get that. That's a different conversation, IMO. But I would like to see them just have a starting five have everyone have a true backup. If that starter gets hurt, the backup goes in, and they figure it out for the next week rather than constantly rotating in and out. Unless they just see someone's playing poorly, then, yeah, you can bench that person, put in their backup, see how it goes. I definitely see your point about 
the the true backup uh you know idea um but i think well also jackson powers johnson i thought he did a good job i was really excited to to see him do well he was a guy i talked to multiple times before before he got to oregon and he's just a really great kid um definitely you know one of those culture uh you know builders you know those glue guys that you want to have in your program so great to see him get some action especially in the first game that he was eligible to play in um you would think though that part of that was probably at least in part due to uh Jonathan Dennis being injured. Um, he, he wasn't available for that game. And, and uh, I think we saw him walking around some of the pressers and uh, I think he was on crutches and it looks like that one's a, a pretty significant injury. Um, so hoping for the best for him, but uh, other guys that are getting some, some run at center. Dawson Jermillo is also another guy that has been getting snaps and then they're starting to transition Harper into that Marcus Harper into the center role a little bit. So I totally see what you mean. But when we were talking to, to Alex Mirabal kind of about that versatility, he was saying that he does that in part because you want to have a guy who's ready to play any position except for center, obviously, because that's the hardest one to learn. Um, because he was saying that when I was talking to him, these NFL teams, they only travel with so many linemen. So they got to have guys that can play, uh, you know, plug and play a variety of spots. So that's a little bit of a different situation uh, at the college level. But um he was saying that if you're unless you're a starter, like a solidified starter, you're going to have to um, cross train and learn how to play different sides, different positions. So definitely a valid point, And that'd be something that I'd kind of be interested to, to ask him and coach Cristobal, uh, depending on how the, the offensive line progresses throughout the season. For sure. And I also think that the line is going to get better throughout the year. I guess I was just expecting them to be able to dominate more at the line of scrimmage against the Mountain West team, considering the head coach is, is an offensive line guy. He's been the head coach since 2018. He, in theory, all these these are the players that he has recruited and worked with for years. And they didn't play poorly, but they didn't play to the standard that we, I think, expected of an Oregon offensive line. Totally. And we, we talk about holding some stuff back potentially ahead of this Ohio State game. We didn't see any of the freshman backs, not a single one. And I think that that's uh, another thing to, I mean, maybe not read too much into, but I think it generates another level of excitement. Um, I think I, I've been on a, you know some other podcasts and, and just talking a lot about the running back room throughout this uh, buildup to the season. And I think I've kind of tried to tip my cap in uh, the Seven McGee camp. I think he's just going to be a super dynamic playmaker. Um, we saw how effective Travis Dye was in, in this Moorhead offense. Um didn't didn't see as much of him uh, on Saturday. He did have a rushing touchdown, so that was good to see. But I think things get really exciting when you can get guys like Seven in space. Um, ha- hasn't learned too much slot uh, based on the last time that I talked to him. We have a, a freshman focus story up on Ducks Digest for him that I wrote. Um, that's been a really fun series, and if you haven't checked those out, you definitely should. Um, but back to Seven in the running back situation. There's just so many so many like unknown guys and there's a lot of hype around them that I'm excited to see them, but I also feel like they'll probably try to focus on maybe one or two in, against Ohio state because they're going to, you know, rely on Verdell and die the most I would think, but seeing more freshmen getting play time, that's an, a whole, another thing we could talk about. We saw a lot of freshmen get snaps, true freshmen at that uh, on Saturday against Fresno state. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that Franklin still played. I saw him out there. Dante Thornton played a good amount. I don't know if he had a 
catch. He may have had one, but he was out there for a lot of the snaps. He's definitely going to be one of their one of their receivers that will be playing a lot. And I also enjoyed getting to see the play uh, that the wide receivers were rotating in and out a lot. And also one more thing about the receiver room that I was quite happy to see is that Chris Hudson was able to get the start. And he was uh, – we were not able to watch any of fall camp last year. But whenever you talk to people about fall camp last year, they kept saying, oh, Chris Hudson's a dude. Chris Hudson's really good. And you could – and he never really broke out last year. But you could see that there was immense trust in him because Tyler Shuck would throw him jump balls in the end zone. And he, he was able to come down with them maybe because they weren't the best throws last year. But – there was that trust, and whenever I'd seen him, like in you know, like during practice or during the spring game, I was always really impressed by Chris Hudson. And clearly, the coaching staff agrees because they were able to get him to start this year. And I'm expecting a really big season from him. And just because of that depth in the wide receiver room, they are going to be rotating in and out, and they should be able to keep guys fresh and not to the what should be an advantage later on in games because the opposing secondary in theory will not be rotating in and out as much as the Oregon receiver room will be, which should um, lead to more deep shots later in the third and fourth quarters when the secondary may be a bit gassed. But I also think that they need to be able to take those shots. They took some, the pass to Johnny Johnson was, you know, in the end zone was a deep shot. That was like a 30 plus yard pass. Um, they did throw it up. Like I, I think it was on third and long. They threw it up to Chris Hudson, I think on the far side and he drew pass interference. It was either him or Micah Pittman. It was one of the two was able to draw pass interference. I was able to extend a drive. Um, but I'm, but I think I'd like them to see them pass the ball downfield more often. A lot of it seemed like it was like dinking and dunking, which did not, was not very effective because Anthony Brown only led two scoring drives that were over 27 yards. And there was a third drive in which I think it was like a, I think it was like a 60 plus yard drive, but then there was a, but then they got stuffed on fourth and two inside the red zone and Fresno state was able to get the ball and turnover on down. So just, we also need to see more consistency in the passing game. But like you said about the freshman, I think that can help come, especially if they can just get seven McGee in space. The program's been super high on him for years. They offered him when he was a freshman in high school and he committed and he's now here what, what all I've seen of him, you know, during practice of what we've been allowed to watch, he's been very impressive. Um, I don't know if he'll get as much run against Ohio State just because there might be those true freshman jitters in that stage. Even DeAnthony Thomas is one of the best Oregon Ducks of all time. He fumbled twice against LSU in his true freshman debut. Uh, so I, I don't know how much run the true freshmen are going to be getting next next week unless they're just their best guys. But I do think especially once we get into conference play that – Stephen McGee and Byron Cardwell will be seeing a lot more run than yesterday. Regardless of how this Ohio State matchup shakes out, it's nice to know that you have what should be on paper a toss-up against Stony Brook. Certainly a great opportunity to, to roll some of those true freshmen out and help them get their feet wet. Uh, you talked about the wide receivers. I definitely... Uh, you know, have have heard the same things about Chris Hudson, and he's a guy from from St. John Bosco, one of the best schools in the country um, for high school programs. Uh, that was a school I got to check out uh, this summer. They have a, a really great thing going there, and and he's a guy that I think should be breaking out this this year. I think the wide receivers are definitely the group that I'm the most excited about. 
And I'm um, really excited to see what, what Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton can do to get in the mix. And Isaiah Brevard looked really good in the scrimmage that we were able to go to during fall camp. But I think for the wide receivers to take a step forward, it's probably not a stretch to say that the quarterback play has to improve. But I think a lot of the reason that we're seeing maybe more dink and dunk stuff is that the wide receivers, they also need to do their part and get open. Uh, I mean, if they're getting the ball and the, I mean, it's kind of a hard dynamic, right? You have the wide receiver has to run a good route to get open and the quarterback has to put him on him at the right time. And so it just, like, if I feel like we've seen that so much, especially last year, wide receivers would just catch the ball and someone's right there. And there's no, there's no option. There's no opportunity to, to make a play after the catch. And these, this is arguably the most talented group of wide receivers the ducks have had and who knows how long. So I think that'll be something to watch here. You know, how, how good are these route, how good are these routes that they're running? Um, and how, how is uh, Anthony Brown, looking when he puts the ball on them because that's a, a dynamic of this Oregon offense that has been severely lacking. And um, I'm sure is, is probably getting pretty frustrating for fans is like, they just, that's why they want to see the whole playbook. They want to see it open. They want to see the quarterback taking shots down the field. And um, I think that that's just uh, an, another part of it when we're kind of talking about what we want to see moving forward here, following this Fresno state game, that was a uh, relatively pedestrian. I would completely agree with everything you said. Um, I do think there's a lot of room for improvement and and I think as the playbook opens up, we'll hopefully see that improvement. I do think it, yeah, you can only have such a good offensive performance when you can only, when everything is so vanilla that Fresno State's going to dare you to pass the ball. And yeah, the receivers weren't getting too open. I, I would like to see them run more drag routes. Like if you're going to dink and dunk, at least have a piece of which there's a lot of run after the catch opportunities. Exactly. Um, and I, and I think they ran that once on third down and the ball was thrown behind Micah Pittman. Um, but there was other times that Micah Pittman had back-to-back catches in the first quarter on one of their, on a, quite a long drive and helped extend the, extend the chains a few times. Um I don't think the passing game is doomed by any stance. And I do think Anthony Brown is going to play better, Uh, but we'll just have to see it. But I have belief in the program. I'm just hoping that they become more aggressive offensively rather than it seems like a lot of it is conservative, which makes it easier for a defense to target because then the defense can just play more aggressive and they know that you're not going to take a deep shot behind them. Totally. I, I think another part uh, that I wanted to mention here when we're talking about the offense, uh, a key stat that I think is going to be important to, to follow here as we track the evolution of Joe Moorhead's offense is the third down conversion. Oregon 7 for 16 yesterday uh, in that opening game. Um, yeah. Are you going to be able to, to keep the drives going? Because the defense was out there on the field for a long time yesterday, just throughout the game. Um and you don't want to be putting your yourself in that position, especially if you're shorthanded next week. Like you got to keep the chains moving. Um, and I think that's pretty much been a theme for the past couple of seasons here is the defense being the strong suit of the of the program, which is kind of surprising when you think of how Oregon rose to relevance, especially during the Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly era. Excuse me. So it's, it's going to be something to monitor. And then another part of the game that just kind of led to what was overall appearing to be an, an underwhelming effort um, was the, the penalties that, that uh, Oregon had in this one, eight penalties for 87 yards. That's, that's a lot left on the field, but of course that's spread between offense and defense. 
So a lot to clean up, but I think overall, Dylan, when we're talking about this game, I hope this podcast will will help put everything into perspective. You had that awesome piece that that you wrote that's up on Ducks Digest that that really goes in depth on that. That why fans, I think it's appropriate to you know maybe okay no it's not appropriate to panic, but you can see why there's cause for concern after what we saw yesterday. So maybe exercise a little bit of caution more so. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I definitely left, you know, a lot less um, enthused about the Ohio State game leaving Austin Stadium than I was heading in. Especially there was one point in the first quarter I was like, oh, this Oregon team is really good. And then I and then they were down three points at home in the fourth quarter to Fresno State, which is not where you want to be at all. But also, I think we were able to see that the team has some mental fortitude. They got gut check. They were, they, they were losing 24-21 in the fourth quarter, and Fresno State had the ball. And how they responded after after Verone McKinley roughed the passer in the end zone is that Justin Flo popped the ball out, got his offense the ball in great field position. The offense was not able to convert into a touchdown, but still got points, tied the ball game up. Then Oregon... Then the Oregon defense got the ball back again, and Anthony Brown was able to execute a long scoring drive to give them the lead. And the playbook even opened up a little bit more during those last two drives. They started running option plays, which they weren't doing before. They did just enough to get the win. And at the and at the end of the day, they got the win, and the season is not over. The season will be decided in conference play and at Ohio State. Last year, Iowa State really kind of demolished Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. Iowa State lost to Louisiana Lafayette to open last season, and they and still finish as a top 10 team. Iowa State this year beat Northern Iowa by six points. And I and they're still expected to be like a top 10 team in the country. These games happen. It's just about not losing them. Losing this game would have been disastrous. Being able to show that you can still get your work done and still be able to deliver a solid performance even when you're trailing at home at ha- uh, in the fourth quarter obviously you never want to be in that position but I was glad to see that the team then was like no we have to step up they stepped up they got the dub and I'm not that concerned about the team long term yeah I I totally agree with you there I think that's a, a great way to put it to to kind of get people to to calm down a little bit that maybe uh, you know, freaking out. I think there's one more area that we absolutely have to touch on in this podcast that I almost forgot about. The specialists, man. The specialists balled out. You you talked about Camden Lewis doing really well, but I got to give a shout out to Tom Snee because when the offense was stalling, um, you know, in large part in the second half, early part of the second half, Snee was bailing them out time and time again and uh, giving the defense a, a nice little start to the ensuing drive. Tom Snee, five punts. 234 yards total, averaging 46.8 yards pop, fit long of 56 yards, and four of his five punts pinned them inside the 20. So that's huge when you're able to, to rely on a guy like that to, to go out there and, and um, you know, help help save the, the not save the day, but, um, you know, help the defense when, when the offense is, is, is not doing so hot. So shout out to Tom Snee. He he really uh he really came out and and helped the team in what ended up being a really close game. So it, you can't I don't think you can overstate how big of a deal it was for them to to get those big punts out of him. Yeah, for sure, and that bodes well for the rest of the year, especially if the offense 
let's say that the, that the performance is going to be indicative of how the offense plays, how it's not going to be too creative. They're going to need, they'll be able to sustain some drives, but for the most part, the offense will be mediocre. Well, then that means the Ducks are going to have to win games on their defense and play the field position game a lot more than probably Duck fans want them to. But with Tom Snee, I feel that that's not a terrible route to take because he was able to pin them inside the 20. They were and all of most of the Ducks drives were that where they scored were because they just started with a great field position. And, and even that one punt that didn't that they that he got touchback on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't his first punt like almost downed inside the five and it like barely hit? Yeah, I, th- I think it was pretty yeah. close. They they just hardly missed it. The the gunners were were mobbing down there and they and they were just a hair late. So it was yeah, awesome. So and shout he, out to Bobby Williams. He played great. Yeah, special no shout team. out. Yeah, because last year the special teams was not the strong point of the Oregon Ducks, just to say the least. But the special teams played very well yesterday. And if all you ever have to say about the special teams is, hey, they they did their job, perfect. Exactly. We want to talk about the special teams for a maximum of a minute a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there, there was a lot of great stuff that we've kind of gotten into. I think we've kind of given a really nice overall uh, rundown of the action from from Oregon's season opener against Fresno State. Uh, anything else you wanna you wanna add here, Dylan? I mean, we're we're gonna be on the road heading to Columbus before we know yeah, it. Yeah, we will. I know. I'm super excited to be at the Ohio State game. I remember when they when Oregon scheduled this game. I was in middle school. They scheduled. They were going it was to that Ohio long State. They they scheduled it in 2010. Oh my god, I didn't know that. I was like in eighth grade. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like. Why are they scheduling the game for 2021? Well, it's finally 2021. Um, Ohio State was not able to go to Austin, but I'm very glad that this game was not rescheduled to be a neutral site game. I wanted to be able, just selfishly as a reporter and as like a Ducks graduate, I wanted to be able to go watch them in a true road game at Ohio State because that's just awesome. That's what college football is about is seeing these awesome Football games. I've always wanted to go to an Ohio State game. No better excuse than when the Oregon Ducks are in town. And this is what the program's been leading up to for years, IMO, is these types of big games. This is going to be the biggest game Oregon's played since probably the Pac-12 championship game against Utah, maybe? Or the, I've been saying since their last matchup, the national championship, in terms of just like, the significance, I think, to the overall outlook of the program, when mm-hmm. when Cristobal and his staff are are in these are in people's homes, these top recruits' homes, they're sure. gonna either be able to, they're either gonna be selling their performance in the Ohio State game, or they're gonna be, I'm not gonna say running away from it, but you're just gonna have so much more positive for it. That's why I think it's important for fans yes. to be realistic heading into this one. And we are on the same page. I don't think we expect Oregon to win. Would love to be proven wrong, but if you can just keep this game competitive, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be really good for for the program moving forward. But we'll get into all that next week. Um, we're still kind of in Fresno State mode, so we're like still covering this one. But we'll be shifting over to to the Buckeyes preview before long here at Ducks Digest. Yeah. No. So continue. Looking at the site, we're going to have a lot of great written content, a lot of great podcasting content this week. It's finally here. They're going to Ohio State. 
They're one and zero. They're the lone undefeated team in the Pac-12 North. <laughs> they. This is what college football is about. Big games like this, and I can't wait. Awesome stuff, Dylan. Well, before we get out of here, where can people find more of you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's just my name, at Dylan McKinnon, D-Y-L-A-N-M-I-C-K-A-N-E-N. I'll be writing for the Duxedja site. I'll probably be on a podcast this week, I assume, at some point. We're not sure about that, but I'm sure I'll be a podcast guest recurring. If not this week, the, you know, just recurring throughout the season. I can't, I can't wait to continue providing more coverage. And yeah, just super stoked. Yeah, it was, it was a blast to have you and Scott uh, with me at, at Odson yesterday. I think it was just nice to have the, the whole team there or some of the team members there um, mm-hmm. just beefed up our coverage even more. And I, I think it went really well. So that was a blast. If you want to find more of me, we kindly ask that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. This is on the podcast right now, but it'll be on the YouTube channel as well. That's Oregon Football Max Taurus. Uh, the channel has been growing pretty well, but spread the word, you know, give it. Uh, let, let all your f- friends and family know about it. Other duck fans, um, you know, the support on the channel and all of our other social media channels uh, at ducks digest on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, really, really important that we grow those accounts because it lets us continue doing our thing, covering the ducks and bringing you the content that you love. You can find me on Twitter at M sports, but uh, I think we've said all we have for this one. Uh, it was a blast and we're going to run it all back next week when Oregon heads to Columbus to take on Ohio state. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.